it's time for another episode of the Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer, hosting today, and our special guest is our esteemed president and general manager, Sam Burnaby. 38 seasons uh, with the Iowa Cubs, as Mr. Gartner referred to in our early episode, Mr. Baseball here in Des Moines and, and really around minor league baseball for a lot of folks for the time spent and the relationships built. And we're going to have some fun today talking about uh, Sam's journey through the game and uh, some of his fond memories uh, of Principal Park and, and beyond. So, Sam, welcome to the podcast officially. Uh, and uh, I know the bar has been set by Michael fairly high for his debut episodes, but <laughs> that's the story of your life, right? Well, between Michael and Tommy Birch and <laughs> Boog, and you know, there's, there's some pretty heavy, heavy names I got to follow in here. Well, uh, you, you've got more than enough uh, ammunition in your belt to uh, take us through this and, and probably a, a couple of other episodes. But um, like I did with Michael, let's start with uh, one of the unique things about our ownership and management group is the local ties. Not everybody around minor league baseball has people running their clubs that were born and raised in the community they're working in and really have that great understanding of what people like uh, that live around the ballpark and, and how we deliver that to them. So having grown up in, in West Des Moines and, and been in Des Moines your whole life, uh, what are your early memories of coming to the ballpark as a kid, as a fan, and how that kind of instigated the thoughts of making this a career? I, th I think the uh, I'm really lucky, first of all, in the aspect of I've been in, in one place for as long as I've been. It's the only job I've had uh, is, is working for the Iowa Cubs, and, and uh, I, I, at this point I wouldn't know what else to do, obviously, but, but I didn't <laughs> have to move from town to town in order to move up. I started here as an intern uh, and worked my way to where it's at now. And and to be in my hometown and, and uh, get my job that allowed me to move home uh, with my girlfriend, now my wife at the time, uh, was great. And we've been able to raise a family and, and you know be a part of the fabric of, of of Central Iowa for our entire lives, so uh, you know it, it's. I'm just very, very, very fortunate, very lucky when it comes to to what what has happened to me. I can't I can't think of too many people in the game that have been in the game as long as I've been and been with the same organization for as long as as I've been with it, which I'm proud of. Uh, frankly, I, I I've be. been able to hang in there and and uh, fight through floods and tornadoes and pandemics and <laughs> bad teams and good teams and and we've been able to keep a great relationship with the Chicago Cubs throughout that entire time frame and so I'm, I'm really proud of all those things I I think the thing that probably spurred my interest the most uh, was I played you know I played little league baseball I played uh, AAU baseball I played high school baseball I played some college baseball you know and I had everybody's every little boy's dream of playing big league baseball and obviously that wasn't going to happen and uh, so I, I that's how I got into the business of it was is my I had to hang my cleats up at, at some point and uh, I found out about this thing called sports administration you could get a graduate degree in sports administration and uh, one of my coaches at Valley High School cornered me one day and he says, hey, did you read that article in Sports Illustrated about this sports administration thing? And I 
said, no, I'd never heard of it. He says, you ought to really take a look at it. Bob Best was, was the coach's name. And, and Bob kind of encouraged me. And then, and then uh, so that kind of got me going into the direction of getting into this business. But I was a fan coming to the park, uh, Sec Taylor Stadium, you know, in the, in the 70s. Uh, my, my first real solid recollection of, of coming to the park uh, was when Vita Blue pitched for the uh, for the, for the Iowa Oaks and soon to be the Oakland A's, and he struck out 16 hitters and you know uh, and, and was all world, and I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. Well, then a friend of my dad's actually had some association with the club, and we went to the game two nights later, again, and my dad's association to this gentleman also had a tie to Vita Blue and brought Vita Blue up into the stadium. I got to sit and visit with him and so that made me a fan of the local town team immediately. And that's just kind of how it all, all began. You know, I think one of the interesting things about your career from my perspective is the ability to build relationships. You mentioned the Cubs and the long lasting relationship being in the town. Uh, it's regularly that we get together as a staff and we report on sales calls we've made or interactions we've had. And at least one of us in the room doesn't say, the person I talked to said, make sure you tell Sam hello. We're good friends from way back. I got a lot of good way friends. Back I got a lot of good friends. There's lots of good friends. But I think that kind of sums up uh, probably your style very well and, and your, your personality because most of you don't get to 38 years in the longevity without relationship building where do you where does that come from in your background well I, I don't really know specifically other than the the part about this business that I like the best is selling and and selling is nothing more than relationship building uh, you have to believe in your product in order to sell effectively but you also have to understand who you're selling to and what it is their needs are and so forth and that's just building relationships is all that is and really, I think you can even tie that into our relationship with the Chicago Cubs. I mean, we, we sell our ability to, to be great partners to them all the time. I think it's testimony to our great relationship with the city of Des Moines um, and, and all the, uh, our landlord. Uh, you know, we work hard with the idea that, you know, we're here to do the right things uh, uh, relative to the building and, and be good stewards of their building and, and you know, that's just good relationship building. And, 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 and so it's a combination of selling and, 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 and building that character and that partnership between whoever it is you're selling to, and, and then that's how the relationship comes. Visiting with Sam Burnaby, our president and general manager for the Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast uh, today. And, uh, you know, another part of that, uh, and the interesting part of, of, of minor league baseball uh, is you have a lot of masters uh, you have your relationship with your city and Major League Baseball, uh, and certainly ownership is part of that too. Uh, and you've had an unusual journey in yourself that you've gone from intern, not only to management, but part owner of the team. But it's been a couple of different owners that you work for and Ken Granquist and into Michael Gartner. Michael told the story about how he bought the team and the transition from his point of view. What was it like being the person in the building and helping to facilitate the the transition there from different people, different ideas, uh, being ultimately in charge of how you were going to try to do your job and continue down the, the road that you had the organization going? Well, I guess fortunately, Michael 
thought enough of me to keep me in the transition of uh, ownership. Um, I learned a lot from the guys that I first worked for, and I've learned a lot from Michael and Mike Giudicesi and, and, and my partners now. Um, but there is different styles there, you know, between the two ownership groups. Uh, it's just an adapt, adapting to the way we want to do business. And, and um, certainly as president of the club, it was easier for me to adapt to Michael's style than just being the general manager under Mr. Granquist and Dick Easter and Don Silverman. Um, but I learned a lot uh, from those gentlemen in order to get to the point where I could become the president of the club for Michael and our current ownership group. I learned some things that I shouldn't do as well as the things that I do do. And, and so uh, I, I, I think I've been able to combine all of that to create consistency in, in the operation. You know, people ask in conversation, you know, you've been, the club's been here for, since 1969, and really only three ownership groups. How, you know, all, there have been other minor league sports come and go in town, and, and uh, you know, what's the secret, what, why? And, and again, I think it's just consistency. I think it's, it's a simple process of creating quality entertainment uh, that happens to be a baseball game, uh, but it's easy. You know what you get from the time you pull into the parking lot to the time you leave. And it's that way just about every time you do it. And don't make it tough. And, and I think that style of business, you know, began from day one under the Grandquist ownership group, carried over now into year 38 under the Gartner ownership group. One of the great lines in minor league baseball and working in minor league baseball is the uh, other duties as assigned. Well, you got to the point where you're the one assigning them, but there was a time in your life where you were getting assigned those duties. What what were the things that you remember that, that you really liked, and what were the things that you remember thinking, I can't wait for the day that somebody else gets to do some of these things? Well, congratulations. You're now in that position, <laughs> as well as all my other staff members. But um, I think... Uh, there's there's obviously a lot of things in the old ballpark that just were intolerable. I mean, it it became a a regular ritual every morning of having to go in and to get the sump pumps out of the out of the closet and put them in the base of the dugout each dugout so we could pump out all the the storm water that had backed up just groundwater. Who knows what kind of water it was? I guess <laughs> at that point, but uh, we had to pump the dugouts out every morning and uh, it. Uh, you know, I guess just in trying to do everything possible in the organization to learn about how to do it has created all kinds of different variables and varieties. But certainly the challenges in the old ballpark in, in the, before we uh, uh, opened the new one in 92, uh, you know, just was on and on and on. I, I, if I had a dollar for every time I hit my head on a, on a cross beam underneath the grandstand in the old ballpark, I'd, I probably would have retired 10 years ago at this point. But... <laughs> Uh, I'm certain there's some there's some brain damage in there somewhere because of it, um, but chasing rodents out of the ballpark and 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 throwing out uh, you know freezers that that the electricity went off on and and having to deal with the smell of spoiled hot dogs and and uh, a two piece tarp that <laughs> that we had to we had, you know we roll out one side of the tarp and 
and then you run across the field and rolled out the other side of the tarp. It's not then, a bathing suit. No, it, it was, <laughs> and that field was not bikini worthy, I can tell you. So it, uh, uh, we, it, was, it was a challenge in the old stadium. And it's not that we don't have our challenges in, the, in what now, I, I still call it the new stadium, but it, you know, the ballpark's 30 years old. Uh, Principal Park is 30 seasons old. So uh, you know, we still have our challenges, but it's not anywhere near what it was uh, uh, finishing the, the, the old Sec Taylor Stadium, I guess. Watching radar, is would you consider that your greatest challenge day-to-day on a game day oh, now? I, you know, I don't, I don't envy those guys on TV every night that have to sit there and say what the weather's going to be or what it's going to do. Uh, it, uh, my friend Ed Wilson always, always tells me that I that I just don't have enough toys. If I had more toys, I could be better at what I do. He's got great toys over there, but at WHO. But, but, but I, uh, you know, the radar is something that's so important to the operation because, you know, everything that you do is geared on the way the weather works, and whether it's safety for fans or whether it's preparing enough food for, you know, if it's a beautiful night and you, and you don't plan accordingly, then you're going to be short. Uh, you know, having enough staff and personnel is all centered on how the weather is going to be and. And so we watch the weather pretty closely, and, and the th- I use three different radars on a regular basis during the season, and, and uh, that's probably the most popular question I get asked uh, throughout the entire baseball season is, when's it going to stop, you know? <laughs> Are we going to get it in, you know? Do we have we that window. window? Got a window. We got a window. That's the, <laughs> the general manager's favorite term is we got a window. Well, I, I distinctly remember sitting here with you, watching the radar, you calling Chris Schlosser saying you got two minutes. And one minute and 45 seconds later, I heard the raindrops on the sidewalk outside the stadium. And 15 seconds later, it was out over home plate. So you've, you've learned a few tricks there. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the instruments have gotten pretty good. I mean, you can, you, the radars, if you were able to buy the right radars, you can, you can tell almost down to the, within the street a block away as to where things are at if you stay on top of it. Um, you know, in, when I first started in the business, I had a, uh, basically a hotline to the National Weather Service office out at the Des Moines airport, and those guys got so sick of hearing from me. <laughs> you know, I, thank God for there wasn't any caller ID at the time because they wouldn't have ever answered the damn phone if, <laughs> if there was. But they, some of them were pretty good. Some of them just wouldn't have any, anything to do with us. And, and uh, they, they knew when I was calling that there was, you know, they, they were there to help and they did the best they could. They had a lot of other things to worry about other than whether I could get baseball in at Sec Taylor Stadium or not. But uh, uh, that was, I had a hotline to the National Weather Service. That's how it all started. And then they had this thing called radar that was made available to the public through uh, John McLaughlin, who was the longtime uh, meteorologist at KCCI. And uh, he made it available, he made their radar available through it, and man, that was the greatest thing that ever happened. That I, I didn't have to call the National Weather Service again, and <laughs> and even then, it was running about 15 minutes delayed, or, and uh, uh, so it it was a challenge uh, then. But it's it's been made a lot easier now with all the different new technology and and uh, the ability to see where weather is at when you need to, and it's it's a safety thing. I'm Randy Wayhofer visiting with Sam Burnaby, our president and general manager of the Iowa Cubs, on unwritten rules and Iowa Cubs podcast and. Uh, we're talking about relationships uh, in this, certainly over 38 years, you've gotten to see a whole lot of players and a whole lot of managers uh, and coaches. Um, 
and uh, I let, you have a lot of favorite sayings. One of mine is, it takes all kinds and we've got all kinds. You can have just about every different kind of person you can manage come through that clubhouse and we can spend three hours of one of these just talking about different personalities. But when you're pressed to say, who are a couple that come to mind, whether it's funny, good, interesting, whatever, what what are the people that you uh, that, that stick out from the clubhouse experience that you've had um, and there's a lot of them, so that, I know that's a hard question. I think the guy that probably comes to mind first and foremost is, is a guy by the name of Phil Stevenson. Phil was, I think he still holds the NCAA record for career hits. I'm not sure. It seems to me I read that not too long ago. Uh, I think Phil is now uh, coaching uh, a junior college down in, down in Kansas somewhere. Uh, but he was here the better part of... Oh, two two seasons, I suppose, and and we got to be pretty good friends, and and uh, he was just a very genuine guy that that was just kind of a hometown guy, he's a hometown favorite. I think he was. Uh, uh, he, I, I may not have been. I was thinking maybe he was a league MVP, but he certainly had the credentials to be. He had had a little bit of time in the big leagues. I thought at the time, I thought he was a surefire. First baseman had a you know a terrific swing and and could pick it at first and uh, you know he he had some time in the big leagues but that but Phil probably comes to mind more than anybody his, his uncle Gene Stevenson was a longtime uh, head baseball coach at Wichita State he Phil played at Wichita State mm-hmm. played the College World Series and and uh, so he he had great credential not a name that you would think of uh, at the big league level uh, but. But he probably comes to mind the most right out of right out of the shoot. Um, there, but there's been a gazillion players, obviously. Most of them all run at about the same same level for me. It's the guys that are, that are really uh, tough to deal with that probably stand out more <laughs> than any, and that's not really very many. Uh, that, but the relationship has changed just in my time in the game, uh, let alone yours, of of the way minor league baseball has changed from. A manager and a trainer and maybe a pitching coach and then you got a bunch of guys and, and the minor league front office was a lot closer to them uh in past years now that you've got eight staff members and live video feeds and and all of the things that major league baseball has done and that's not to say one way is better than the other it's just a changing sign of the times but how was your role different uh back when you first became the general manager and in, in how you related to just the clubhouse in general and, and the different ways that relationships were built as opposed to the last few years i think probably uh the players were definitely closer to us and we were closer to them when i first started in the game and that probably was the case all the way up through the early 90s um but as usual money changes everything and and kids would come in you know that had signed big bonuses, you know, million dollars, several million dollars, first-round draft picks. Um, you know, you didn't have as many guys that were just hanging on, and now we don't have as many guys just hanging on, and and, and that reflects on the the personality of of the players that we have. And that's not to say anybody that's here doesn't have any personality. It's just that it's more businesslike now than it was in 1984 and 85 and. You know, we we would have golf tournaments with the players and fishing tournaments with the players, and and it would be, it would be all day events. You know, you'd start at eight in the morning, and you'd still be going at midnight <laughs> with with the with the guys, and it was just uh, that's how things worked, and and 
there was a lot of craziness that happened between eight, <laughs> eight in the morning and midnight. But um, you just don't have that now. It's not uh, it's not the same. Not that that's bad. It's just it's just not the same. And I think it's all. I just relate it to money. It's 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 much more business like, um, and uh, which it should be. You know, there's a lot invested in the in the kids that are playing, and in and the kids that are playing have got a lot invested in the game, and they need to be better. And their day starts, in a lot of cases, at twelve thirty, one o'clock in the afternoon, and they're still going until they've showered and left the, the clubhouse at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. But it's all business. It's not, uh, there, there isn't one motion that they make now that isn't related to making themselves better. And again, in the mid 80s, that's not to say those guys weren't working hard and doing their thing to make themselves better, because they were. And, and the techniques are just different and the technology is much greater and, and uh, that's probably gonna change it. But, but I think probably money has changed all of that kind of player front office bonding or, or relationship. It's probably changed it more than anything. You mentioned the early 90s. Uh, 1993 uh, was a, a very special season for the Iowa Cubs. Uh, I've seen enough of the pictures and the videos to know how much you enjoyed <laughs> that season yeah. uh, very much. Winning is probably the least important objective when you start a minor league baseball season. Uh, just because we have no control over it, so we don't make any plans for parades and championship celebrations. And the major league club is focused on how are those guys going to help win at the major league level as opposed to win in the American Association or the Pacific Coast League. Um, but when it does come together, it's a lot of fun and pretty special when you get that group that kind of galvanizes on that, that goal and the only championship the, the club has had back in that 93 season. What do you remember about it? I remember standing at home plate with two bottles of champagne shaking the hell out of them and having champagne go everywhere all over the top of anybody that was around me and and uh, the crowd was going crazy and and uh the celebration in the locker room and the and the big party that we threw at johnny's hall of fame afterward and it went well into the next morning and and uh it was very very celebratory I, i've never been through a celebration like that and it was just winning the American Association, you know, AAA baseball, but it was, it, it, we all felt like we had just won the World Series. And, and uh, it was, uh, obviously had a very similar feeling uh, when, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, but, but it was fun being directly tied to that and, and being around and with the guys that, that made a difference uh, on that team and, and um, you know, then the way we wanted in the extra innings in the seventh game, and and here at home, and I, I we must have had 170,000 people at that game <laughs> that night because I think I, I bet I've had at least that many people say to me, "Oh, what a great game! I was there that night. It was it was spectacular. We had a great night." I said, "Yeah, we did. It, 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 it's still going on. Everybody said there's there's more of those people come out of the woodwork than I I." I yeah, I can imagine, but I wish I'd had a ticket for everybody said that they were there a dollar. But um, it, it was uh, it was it was very memorable. It was very very fun, and uh, I have this picture in my office that I just pointed out, and it, it that epitomizes what what we were what we were going through. And, is that Turk? Turk is standing there with me, and uh, Tuffy Rhodes is in the back, and uh, I think it was the three of them that there were two or three of them there that were standing there. We were just going crazy. We were having so much fun. And all, both of those guys have been back to the ballpark in, in the meantime. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. 
uh, I often say that you know the the worst day during the season is team picture day because everybody hates being in the team picture and putting their uniform on. But the moment they leave here, the first call you get is, hey, do you still got a copy of that team picture I was in and the nostalgia that kicks in for, for those guys? Sometimes the relationship you have with them 10 years later is way better than the relationship you had with them when they were actually playing here, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, uh, it seems to improve. I think the nostalgia for, for the players tends to fall into place once they've, once they've left because really nobody wants to be here if they're playing because that means they're not in the big leagues uh, and they're here for a reason. They're either on their way up or on their way down. If they're on their way up, then they want to get there quickly. If they're on the way down, they want to get back. You know, they want to do what they can to get back and there's no middle ground. And I'd, I've never ever heard anybody badmouth Des Moines, Iowa. It, it's not, you know, it never becomes personal. It's just because of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, but they all enjoy their time here while they're here doing what they do and, and you know that's just something we try to do is make them as comfortable as we can because it's a challenge for them you know their mind is set on on hitting the 98 mile an hour fastball followed by a 92 mile an hour slider and it, you know so it, it makes sense that that they don't want to be here they want to be there and they want to get better so they can be and that's what they concentrate on um, so it uh, it, it always it always amazes me when they do come back and when they are coming through as scouts or as coaches or or just you know fans and and how they get to talking about the people that they remember being here and the things they did and where they socialized and and um, you know you, I get to think of I never saw that in you when you were here you know you never talked about that when you were here and and uh, and, and so it was uh, it's always fun to, to see the alumni wander through. A few years later, uh, the opportunity to host the AAA All-Star Game in 1997, that is no small undertaking for a minor league club uh, to host one of those. Um, and when you're combining three different leagues of players and all the short deadlines and all the things that, that went on, uh, was it worth all the work and the, and the memories of that 97 All-Star Game? Yeah, it's the one thing I would probably do again. Um, I, I, our problem is, is that it rotates to the point where it's always going to somebody with a new facility that hasn't either had it yet or they had it and then they got a new facility afterwards and so we're going back to the new facility. So I'm always quite a ways down the line but I, before I end my career I'd like to do maybe one more AAA All-Star game. It would be fun to do and now with our new relationship with Major League Baseball and how they're handling those jewel events I don't really know what the opportunities for that are going to be. I, I presume that they're going to continue uh, with the AAA game um, and if I can get aligned before I can get out. But there's a lot of great quality facilities and a lot of great uh, operators that haven't done the game yet that uh, deserve to and and um, and, and I, I don't know how far down the line we'd be but, but that'd be one I'd like to get done before I, I go again. And, um, but it was it was a great uh, great event. We had a great time. It was it's really two different events. It's uh, you do one event for the fans and all the things that go with it that lead up to it, and then you do an event for the league executives and the players. and 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 they're clearly two events, and that's and we had to separate our our staff accordingly to to make sure we did all the things right. But it was a uh, it was a fun day. There was some uh, uh, great uh, great names that played in the in the game. We had Todd Helton ended up winning the uh, home run. Derby that we, we had, and I got to present him a check for a thousand bucks at home plate. <laughs> uh, 
and that was that was fun. And Craig Council was in the game, as I recall, and and uh, uh, the, there was a there was a there was a pretty good list of of uh, major league players, eventual major league players that played in that game here in Des Moines. Uh, but again, I'd, I'd do it again if I could if I could get one. How do those compare with the Chicago Cub exhibition games? That's another thing that people ask about a lot. That basically the rules of the game prevent, you know, they need to happen before the season starts, and the weather here doesn't really allow for pre-opening April day to, to fit those in. But what do you remember about those games and the excitement that went along with them? Well, there were far less work than the All-Star game. The, the, the exhibition game was just basically getting scheduled and then it just was another game. We had to logistically make sure that the Cubs came to town, you know, when they got here to get them from the airport, to get them to the ballpark and, and do what we were gonna do and then get them out as quickly as we could to get to wherever they were going. Uh, we haven't done one since '98, um, and that's mostly related to the way the collective bargaining agreement with the players was put together uh, in '94. I think they eliminated basically in-season uh, exhibition games. But Andy McPhail, at the time as the president of the Cubs, had promised Mr. Granquist the opportunity to do an exhibition game at one point within the four-year agreement that we had just signed with the Cubs, and he. He kept that promise and actually brought the Cubs in in the middle of a very tight pennant race that year in 98. And they were going from, it, they had an off day uh, going from San Francisco to Houston and they stopped in Des Moines to play an exhibition game. And they, <laughs> the boys were not happy to say the least. Come, in the middle of August, in the, in the heat of a, of, uh, of a pennant race, and uh, but but they got here and everybody hugged and and you know chatted and and then everything was good and and they were um, they were very uh, fan worthy. They got out. They signed lots of autographs. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had Sosa hit a home run. Then I think we went back to back to back in that game. As a matter of fact, uh, with with uh, Sammy Sosa leading the charge there and and. Uh, uh, it was just a great day. The exhibition games were always a lot of fun because a lot of the guys that that were playing in the exhibition game were guys that had played here in Des Moines, and so they were they were in spreading their feathers a little bit and and uh, showing the young kids that you know they played here too. And and then the fan reaction was always just spectacular, always a full house. And uh, uh, I wish we could do it again. I've tried on occasion to, to maybe get a spring training game. Uh, it you know everything would have to work perfectly in order for the Cubs to open at home and then somebody close to open at home and and uh, but we've never been able to work that out and and I don't maybe end of the new deal maybe the um, our new relationship uh, with the commissioner's office and the way things set up maybe we'll be able to try to work something out but it has, it's been since 98 since we did one. I was here in 2009 when we played the game at Wrigley. Um, I remember what I was doing that day uh, playing air traffic controller with the yeah. three different planes that yeah. we had going on. And we had buses of fans going over to the ballpark. And um, it turned out it was a great game in the, uh, the Las Vegas club. And, and I know your relationship with Don Logan and the people there, I was way too elbow deep in any of yeah. it to really remember a lot of things. How did that all come together? And what do you remember about that day? Well, it was uh, – the, the Cubs called and, and said – you know, would you entertain uh, having a game in Wrigley Field? Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and it and really it was easy to put together. We needed the uh, 
the the Las Vegas club was affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays at the time, and we needed their consent to do it. Uh, we had to make sure that we could get the players over and back, uh, not only quickly but conveniently. We you know we didn't want to make it uh, a pain in the backside to be able to put this thing off and. Uh, the Cubs were just terrific. I mean, they were very excited to have have a game going going on, and and uh, uh, we we hope to do it again at some, at some point. But it was a it ended up being a terrific day. It was very hot, um, so yeah, but but they had plenty of uh, <laughs> plenty of beverages to cool everybody off. So that was okay. And uh, my buddy Don Logan and I found our way around Wrigleyville a little bit to make sure that we were ready to go. And, and uh, we, we, but it was it was a fun day, and, and we ended up at, we had uh, almost seventeen thousand people in the ballpark uh, to watch our game. And, and uh, I know the Cubs were excited about it, and I think they'd like to do it again at, at some point. We just haven't been able to pull everything together to make that work. The White Sox were a little worried that our game would outdraw their game, so maybe now that they're a little bit better, we, we can get that worked out. <laughs> that would in. be tough for Mr. Reinsdorf to have to say that anybody <laughs> would outdraw them at this point. It, the White Sox are going to be really good, and, and uh, it would be fun to go up against them, but I, I don't think that will happen. <laughs> we're visiting with Sam Burnaby, President and General Manager of the Iowa Cubs. This is Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs Podcast, and let's uh, wrap up today. We'll do this again because uh, we're just barely scratching the surface, but I did want to uh, touch on um, – some of the very important awards that you've won around minor league baseball and the role that you've played in the industry, not just in this organization, whether it's been league executive of the year, and then of course uh, the minor league executive of the year. I, I love the story you tell about your mother-in-law's reaction to that. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she drives, she, she drove my wife crazy because uh, you know every time Mary would go visit her in the nursing home that she was in. The first thing she'd bring up is, "Did you realize Sam won that national award?" And, and so, you know, I, as if Mary forgot. Oh yeah, she, she. So Mary will call me inevitably uh, every just after every conversation she has with her, you know, she had with her mother about the national award that I won. <laughs> but that was a neat year because you won the same year that Chris Bryant won. Minor League Player of the Year, uh, so you got presented with that together. What are the what have those recognitions meant to you over the years, and the things that you've done at the league level, and and things? Why why was that the thing that helped feed your passion for the game of not only running the Iowa Cubs, but having a really significant and important impact on what minor league baseball meant as an industry? Well, I kind of questioned the two league. Uh, Executive of the Year awards that I got only because we had floods both of the years, and <laughs> so though the one in '93 wasn't related to the league championship, I think it was more related to the fact that we were able to navigate around a flood and not lose any home games out of the deal. Uh, and then it flooded again in 2008, and I, I won the league league Executive of the Year award again. So I'm I, I'm not sure that the <laughs> criteria is exactly where I want it to be <laughs> relative to winning the the Executive of the Year in in, the, in each of the leagues, but. Uh, Certainly, the minor league executive of the year is a very. Uh, I'm very proud of that, and uh, it's a it's a great honor to be, have bestowed on. And, and uh, uh, although I will say that that uh, there's certainly no coincidence that I had Chris Bryant here at the same time that uh, that I won the executive of the year, minor league executive of the year, with all the uh, excitement and attendance that he drew and and uh, whatnot. So I, as I said to Jed Hoyer, uh, now the president of the Cubs, uh, then the general manager, I said you. You know, you you made it easy to be be the executive of the <laughs> mental executive of the year when you give me a guy like Chris Bryant. It makes makes us all look good, and, and 
and and then uh, you know Chris obviously goes on to be the rookie of the year in in Chicago, and then they win the World Series the next year with an MVP and. And I think I think Theo was the executive of the year, the major league executive of the year after that. And <laughs> Probably. so Chris has got a lot to do with it. People winning <laughs> executive of the year awards. Uh, but but I'm I'm really proud of the, uh, the the minor league baseball and baseball America had recognized me as they did. That's that's a recognition of peers, and that's what anybody wants. To wrap up for today, um, one of the really cool things being with you uh, and different trips we've been and, and meetings. Um, is the way you used your receiving the World Series ring from Chicago to engage other people and to brighten the eyes and the days of people that encountered it. I never saw it on your finger, but it was always somewhere close. Um, And it was always astounding to see the reactions of people uh, as you would share that um, I remember being in Hawaii, that bartender, while we were watching the, the playoff games the next year at the GM seminar, uh, and just nearly passed out behind the bar when, when you showed it to him. Yeah. Uh, having been with the Cubs for so long, you've already touched on how exciting it was just to have a front row seat to them being part of that. But when did you realize how much joy you could bring other people by sharing that, and, and, and why was that important to you? Well, I think how much joy it brought me, probably, uh, right away. I, you know, and, and I, I sent a note to Mr. Ricketts you know, right after they gave it to me, and, and, and obviously thanking him, and I, I said, I will have it with me as much as I possibly can, and I will show as many people as I possibly can the ring, because that's you know, what Cub fans want to see, and that's what baseball fans want to see, and that's what we play for. We, you know, we, we don't we don't do trophies in baseball. We do rings, and we do them well. And and uh, certainly the Commissioner's Trophy and the World Series Trophy is a very iconic thing. But it's that ring that identifies everybody to what the World Series winner is. And and I I could write a book on reactions that I've had <laughs> of showing people that ring and and the different uh, ways that they've they've uh, uh, held it and looked at it and put it on and taken pictures and passed it around and. And there are times when I got to keep a pretty close eye on where it's going. But the good news is, is it's gigantic, and so they're not going to get far with it. Um, and, and so I don't worry about it too much. But it, it's, it certainly has been one of the most gratifying things part about my career is that World Series win, and being a part of the organization, and then the Cubs organization, you know, thinking enough of me to give me a ring as as part of their celebration. And and so I've tried to promise to show it to as many people that I can, and those that want to see it, I try to go out of my way to get it to them and as best I can. Well, I, I, to wrap up for today, and, and I know we'll do this again, You know, I think one of the secrets of minor league baseball, we started kind of with relationship building, but is our unique ability to give people access and inclusion in something that they think is pretty special. And all the people that have made a big impact in my career, including you, are the ones that allowed me to feel like I stepped inside the circle that I that had a barbed wire fence around it for most of my life, at least in my perception. Um, and for what we do in relationship building, a lot of that is letting people step on the field, letting people feel like they are a part of the process, and that's part of what the podcast is about too. Uh, it's a really powerful thing, and, and that's uh, always something that you've been a leader uh, in 
word and action uh, on, um, and the rest of the staff really appreciates that. Well, it's it's uh, you know the one thing we have to guard against is taking things for granted too much. You know, the walking out on that field, being in this office, the wall of baseballs that I have, uh, the business itself, and, and and it's a special it's a special business. Uh, and, and, a, and a special opportunity to, to pass the business out to people that think the game is what it is and, and believe in it as they do. And, and, and so that's, it's important for us as stewards of the game to, to keep passing that out as best we can. He's Sam Burnaby, Iowa Cubs president and general manager. Uh, started as an intern and 38 years later, uh, here to share some stories and you can't sum up 38 years in 38 minutes or however long we've been talking. So we'll have to do this again, but uh, uh, thank you for the time and, and the stories, uh, appreciate it. I know the fans will too. And uh, uh, as the season goes along, we'll spur some memories again and uh, talk about Manny Ramirez and Yasiel Puig and their hijinks and Des Moines and all the other fun stuff that has come up along the way. But for now, we'll uh, wrap up today's episode. We'll have another one uh, next week and make sure you subscribe like and share Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast for all this great behind the scenes information.